What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I am Justin. What's up? I'm Pete. <laughs> and on The Stack, we have a lot of books that are coming out this week and a bunch of advanced books that we're going Maybe to be Maybe too many books, you might say. Well, I know Never. you feel that way, but I don't feel that way. More books, more books, more, more, more. More books, more books. If we more, talk more, about more. less books, we can talk about the books that we're talking about more, though. You know what I mean? Well, I'll put it out to our audience who has already weighed into this. Would you like more books? More delicious, yummy, yummy books? Or ugh, less books? You let us know. In the meantime, we're going to kick it off with Ultimate Spider-Man number one from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman, arc by Marco Cicchetto. Well, we've had a bunch of wind-up for the Ultimate Universe, the new rebooted Ultimate Universe. This is the official start of it, I would say. Like, this is the actual kickoff in terms of potentially ongoing titles. There's obviously Jonathan Hickman on a title, which is a big deal. Marco Cicchetto, you got a name artist. And this is their take on an ultimate Spider-Man, which of course is the ultimate thing I can think of, an over-the-hill millennial journalist who just like bumming around, doesn't want to be mildly dissatisfied. How dare you? Don't fucking start in on that book like that. All right, Mm -hmm. this is a beautiful idea that is well executed. I was almost moved to tears. We got him. We got him. Took off his tie and put it on Peter Parker. I was getting choked up. It was Our long national nightmare is over. Peter well, Page on. is so on let me board just, for Spider-Man. I'll mention some spoilers for this book. There's some stuff that has already been out there. Like we know that Peter Parker's in his 30s. The idea here is that the origins of the Marvel Universe have been stolen by the maker, the evil Reed Richards. And Iron Man is trying to give those back to people with circumstances too complicated to explain. But Ah. because of that, you've ended up with a very different continuity. And here, Peter Parker is married to Mary Jane, has two kids. Yep. This is the spoiler, as we find out in this issue, in an event that happened in Ultimate Universe number one, I believe that was the name of the one shot, Tony Stark was tricked into essentially blowing up or seemingly blowing up. Um, he was and, blamed. He was yes, blamed. he was blamed for it, and it killed a lot of people. That includes Norman Osborn, Norman Osborn's wife, and also May Parker, as we find out here. However, Ben Parker is alive, oh, working at the Daily. What a reveal! Jason Parker, Parker. Nicer. So there you go. So that's that's the circumstances there. If you didn't read the book. The the part where he's yelling Parker and you think he's talking to Spidey Man over there, Peter Parker, winds mm-hmm. right Man. by him. He's talking to Ben Parker. I was like, ah, oh, I was clutching my pearls that weren't there. Uh, so, Pete, you like this, you're saying, across the board. Well, easy with the across the board shit. Okay. I just think it was a, a nice start. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when Pete died. He died from a, a heart attack uh, right in front of us. I mean, I love this. The Marco Tuchetti art is so good. Like, just very, very beautiful art. And this is like um, Hickman 
this is more pop Hickman. It's yeah, not it the dense, yeah. like uh, intense uh, uh, we get it's from a lot edgy of his work. Hickman. It's not it's, deep Hickman. It's not yeah. But it's, like it's, all that work is there, I think. But this this is just playing the hits. This is like yep. getting to all the stuff from the Spider Man, the sort of core Spider Man story of Peter Parker, Mary Jane, uh, Uncle Ben, and all of that. His spin on it in this new universe, and I loved it. I love the way the issue ended. I'm super excited to watch this brand new spider, this brand new Peter Parker, I should say, uh, go about his business. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on the end. I thought this was an intriguing start, and of course I'm going to continue to read this. I totally agree with you guys on the Marco Cicchetto art. Gorgeous. I love the characterizations here. I love the slow play of the relationship, particularly between Peter and Ben. Ben and J. Joe Jameson as well, I thought was very nice. So fun. Yes. Mary Jane and the kids, I think, are a little short shrifted here. They're relegated to the. Uh, We're like, going to get to them. What, watch We're going to get to them. The thing that I'm curious about here is what is the take that makes this ultimate Spider Man? Because, big spoiler for the end of the issue, but Peter has been gifted the sphere that has the spider that gives him spider powers and a costume in it. How does it change Peter potentially when he has the power but doesn't necessarily have the responsibility? When he is That's the whole point of the series. You're gonna well, see that's, that next That's issue. what I'm wondering about. That's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's the literally opening. the cliffhanger. Like that's the, the question. Issue. That's and like somebody pausing a movie yes. 15 minutes in and being like, That's well, what I'm I saying. But it's one if they're gonna deal with the setup that they've built here. But are they gonna deal with that? That's my question. Yes! Now, Yes, yes Alex, they are. Okay. Alex, this is the most Pete reaction I've ever seen you have. <laughs> You're like, the cliffhanger, it, Where's the, what's happening? Is here's he, here's <laughs> what I think. Team Green Goblin. Team Harry Osborn. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's doing great. He's uh, attacking the kingpin. It's good. All good. Let's go. All so right. I didn't expect such an extreme reaction from you guys, but I guess we'll see how this series goes. Let's. Get- I, did, I, I would argue, Alex, your reaction's extreme. You're extreme. You're Let the say respectfully. You're Shut the, the green fuck goblin. up! All right. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Rebel Moon. Uh, we should say Alex did inject himself with goblin serum right before we started this podcast. Yeah, I'm, so, gob- like, I'm he's, gobbling he, that serum. He's gobbling say. that serum. Yeah, he didn't put it in his veins. He gobbled it up like a little, like a little straw. <laughs> sucked it down like Coca-Cola. Uh, it was a hit movie on Netflix. We all loved it. Now it's a comic book. Rebel was Moon, it? House of the Blood Axe, <laughs> number one. Slow <laughs> your roll. Titan Comics, story by Zack Snyder, written by Magdalene Visaggio, art by Clark Bitt. If you didn't see the movie, and I know we all did, but this is focusing on two rebellious characters and how they got to the rebellious place that we all saw them in, in Rebel Moon, part one, uh, child of fire i want to say anyway this is a prequel to that here's my take on it my take is it's very like dense sci-fi clearly inspired by dune i think the team is doing the best job they possibly can but given the convoluted not particularly interesting mythology that Zack snyder has set up this didn't quite work for me um, I I can't believe that Rebel Moon is billed as like this was going to be a Star Wars movie. This is so far away from Star Wars. It's it's maybe Dune, like a harder edged Dune. Or I feel like Zack Snyder was like, 
what if we did these two cool things at the same time? Uh, mm -hmm. Very, very Mark Millar of him, it feels like, on the movie space. And this comic, like you're saying, is just very dense. The characters speak like they're in the like Phantom Menace, where they're mm -hmm. just talking, talking, talking about the politics and exposition of this place. And we get some like fighting and whatnot, but it's just all like, you won't believe how important this thing is. <laughs> and it's like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, this is great art. There's kind of a fun twist at the end, but it's I'm a little uh, hesitant because I, I feel like I, I need more before I make a, a decision on this. Yeah, this isn't really a distinct sci-fi world is the problem. And I know Netflix and everybody else is putting, they're all in on it. They got two parts. They've got director cuts. Dark Horse today, as we're taping, announced that they're releasing sets of the dropships like models of the dropships and stuff but like i've seen the movie it's fine there's some fine mm. size five stuff in there i guess but it's not anything new or fresh or interesting i don't think you can force a new concept into the world and everybody wants their own star wars and this is not it but again I want to shout out the creative team here. Magdalene Visaggio, I think a very good, very solid writer, doing a good job with what she's been given in terms of the material. Clark Bint, as you mentioned, good art. Yes, but great art. I don't know. Doesn't quite work. Let's move on and talk about Action Comics 1061 from DC Comics, written by Jason Aaron, art by John Timms. This is the kickoff Superman Superstars, which is going to see some all-star teams coming in and writing Superman for, I believe, three issues at a time. This is Jason Aaron's first time writing Superman, and it's a story of Bizarro, but a new Bizarro who has embraced magic because of a loss. What do you guys think about this one? I was surprised by this. Like, uh, for Jason Aaron to come in, and I guess it is just a few issues, so it's not like starting a big, long run. But to do a pretty deep cut or big swing bizarro story is that's a tough pull like I, if i were doing superman for the first time I, bizarro is such a a tough character to do and not have him just do the thing that he does i like where the issue ended uh a lot and i love jason aaron so it's well written it's just bizarro is one of those characters that i'm like ah it's just so i guess it's a personal not my favorite character well i feel like this you know, um, this is very interesting setup. First off, like, I agree with Justin. This is crazy that his first swing at Superman, he's doing a bizarro story. And in this bizarro story, we get a lot of bizarro dialogue, which is kind of hard sometimes. So he uh, says the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, sure does. Of what he, of what he means. Yeah, he likes magic. Uh, he I got it. He mean no, not stop. Love. Stop. It's bad he, enough we, we got to read it. He hate podcasts. Yeah. Can you. I just say, not to interject here, Pete, but I also agree that like bizarro speak drives me insane. The yeah. other thing that drives me insane. Yeah, you is went right into it. Zatatus. <laughs> Zatatus speak. Uh, and the fact that Bizarro talks backwards in this issue, I was like, I'm dying. Yeah. I'm literally dying <laughs> right now reading this comic book. Just kill me. I never want to read another comic book. Either. It always uh, felt like a dare to yeah. have him speak Bizarro and Zatanna at the same time. I was like, 
Okay. Stop it's it. like doing a New York Times crossword puzzle to get through that panel. <laughs> but the art is badass. It's really glorious looking. Great art. Uh, I know I'm being uh, whatever. A dick. Here. Yeah. Piece of shit. That's fair. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Both wow. things absolutely fair. No, I think Pete's speaking bizarro. Like... He's bizarro speaking, Alex. He's thinking no, um, not. Yes. Stop. Book. Um, I love Jason Aaron's books. They are some of my absolute favorite books. Agreed. I think, I think he's being too reverent of Superman here, which is a weird thing to say, but I'm comparing this very directly with Batman off world, which is so specific about Batman, throwing him into the worst situation possible and pushing him to the extremes. I, I don't know. I, I, I having read a couple of, couple of interviews with Jason Aaron, I think maybe he was too nervous about writing Superman or something like that. I'm not quite sure because this is a little too much. It's a little too dense. It's a little too careful for Jason Aaron, which I wouldn't expect. He's a writer that always takes chances. Um, I don't hate this. I think it's still a fun story. And the idea of Bizarro, because he is the opposite of Superman embracing magic, something that Superman could be hurt by, makes a lot of sense john tibbs art is really good for without i like like you said just at the place where it ends up but it's a little too careful i want him to take more chances in the first next. issue take it easy i will say it is very jason Aaron to be like okay i'm gonna do superman bizarro but with magic like the combinations and are very yeah. uh, jason Aaron, and the place it ends up the also the the realm he creates for the first you know four or five pages i was like Oh, this is straight out of Weird World, something Jason Aaron loves in the Marvel Universe. Fun to have it here. Let's move on to one of our first advanced reviews. Moon Man, number one. This is out January 31st from Image Comics, written by Scott Biscuti, a.k.a. Kid Cudi, and Kyle Higgins. Art by Marco Cuddy. Cuddy? Cuddy? Is it Cuddy? It is. Yeah. Whatever. I call him Scott. Nice. Scotty boy. Anyway, um, this is about an astronaut who disappeared seemingly for a couple of minutes and comes back and maybe has some powers. It is Kid Cuddy uh, trying his hands at superhero comics, something that apparently he's loved for a really long time. What do you guys think about this kickoff issue? Well, not spoiling anything, but uh, I feel like the the art that kind of starts this is so cool and such a great, great launch art. pad uh you know starting off with some crazy splash pages to kind of get the reader's attention which i really appreciate it really sets a great tone uh i really kind of love this whole setup and the art is just leading the way in such a creative great way that i'm very excited about what's to come I also like this. Uh, I think the story is great and obviously won't say too much. The art I felt like is really interesting. It was hard to, from a functional point of view, it was hard to tell exactly what was happening when uh, purposefully there were some, some of the fantastical things were happening. So I'm curious, I guess, either from an art perspective, it needs to be more specific or from a writing perspective, that's a mystery that's unfolding. I think, both of those things are true, but I thought the characters were cool, and I like uh, I like I like this book. Yeah, I obviously don't know how the relationship worked, but Kyle Higgins has clearly shown himself as somebody who 
is very good at helping shape a universe through the Massiverse, through a book we're going to be talking about later on the stack, Deep Cuts as well. He's mm. a, clearly a good collaborator. And I imagine it's the sort of thing where Scott Biscuti was throwing out a ton of ideas and Kyle Higgins was like, all right, let's pull it back and get it into a form of a comic book. So to the point that you're saying, Justin, there's a couple of sequences throughout this that it's a little hard to follow what the action is, but the overall emotion of the book and this main character we're following who's come back from space and is dealing with the repercussions of that is an intriguing main character that I'm excited to follow. So this is a good first issue. Uh, I'm excited to see more. Let's turn to another first issue that is coming out this week. James Bond 007 from number one from Dynamite, written by Garth Edis, art by Rafa Lobusco. Surprisingly, I would say this is the first time Garth Edis has written James Bond. He previously wrote a parody book of James Bond that came out decades ago, I want to say at this mm. point. This is the first point he's written a mainstream in continuity, whatever that counts for with James Bond, James Bond book. And here we get James exploring a mystery involving a weapon that ties back to a previous member of MI6. Um, Are we sure that we know that Garth is, uh, we know that he knows he's writing James Bond? Because it feels like he's got Punisher on the brain. This character is very freight cast. Take it easy with that. This whole thing. Take it uh, easy. Listen, love Garth Ennis. I think the art is very good in this book. To your point, if I didn't know this was a mainstream James Bond comic book instead of the parody comic book that Garth Ennis was writing, I wouldn't be clear on I think this is a kind of like what if James Bond got old and became racist and, you know, we pick up there. Well, wow. I wasn't going to say that. I just feel like James Bond doesn't indiscriminate. His whole thing is like chilling out by the bar and then maybe killing one or two people. Yeah, the you In this, people he's like, line. Yo, let me wreck this family. Yeah, the you people line really stuck out and was kind of like, I was like, yo, James, uh, I don't remember this from any of the movies or books, bro. I want him to just stop killing uh, like a groups of people and go roll some dice. Yeah, hang out, have a drink, relax a a little bit. Loosen up, guy. Loosen up. This is, I I don't know why I was expecting an over-the-play James Bond title where Garth Ennis would restrain himself. It is not that. It is a Garth No, this is a darker, you know, yeah, James Bond that's just on a murder spree. And I would argue this this is a little bit of a betrayal of what the James – it's not Character a core is. James Bond here. Yeah, yeah like, like, because yeah. I would love a, a go this, hard James Bond. This is like where... an ultimate James Bond or something Ooh, like that. That's a great call. It definitely feels like Mark Millar writing James Bond. Yes. Or something like I, that. I think that's right because it, it reminds me, like, if James Bond is in an extreme situation, I think Garth Ennis could very well do, do a great job at that, where he's like taken captive or something like that. Like we saw in some of the, uh, the last like five James Bond movies where shit goes into a Garth Ennis realm, but the, it just starts at a place where I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't <laughs> like this guy. This guy's not. Well, or Garth Ennis is really good at writing war comics. He could have taken it back to James Bond's days when he was fighting in a war or something like that, but that's not what he's doing here. This is like a very purposeful character assassination of James Bond. Yeah, but it's also like, it takes like Sean Connery era and be like, what if we did that? But even more so. 
like even worse. But yeah, yeah. I, I just think that this is the first issue. We still got to get a feel of the bigger thing that's going on. Yeah, so you don't have to Dude, apologize. Come on. The first issue is the selling point. I, you've said this three times in this podcast already. That's right. I understand what you're saying. There are times when I think you could wait for something to develop, but like, that's how the comic book industry works. The first issue has to sell us. On the yeah, but also run. you don't understand the, the full story yet. We don't know but, the full picture. Uh, totally. But the All idea that know... you think the idea that you think that Garth Ennis in issue two is going to be like now it makes sense why he killed that. He fan. wakes up and was like, "Oh, who was that racist asshole? That's not who I am. Let me go about this day." I'm so sorry. Maybe with an, a different author on this, but I think we're the cards have been laid on the table, and I'm sorry, but Bond is not winning right, this. Before hand. we move on, I just want to be clear. I love the writing on this. I don't know how it matches to what's happening. The racist parts you're saying. The, the also the <laughs> the stuff you brought up. By the the art is also really unbelievable in this. I'm excited to see what's going on with this series as we move forward. I had fun reading this comic book. It is not a James Bond book. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kids series and the Last Comics series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. Transformers number four from Image Comics we go. by Daniel Warren Johnson. You can spoil this one. Of the Autobots... Fighting to save the Earth, and in particular, we're picking off of the cliffhanger of the last issue where our kid, our main kid character, Spike, was gravely injured by one of the Decepticons, was taken to a hospital here. Optimus Prime steps up to save him. Pete, you're our DWJ correspondent. Take it away. Got it right back here. Uh, yes, it. this is unbelievable. This is an OMG comic. This is some fucking oh shit moments here. I lost my mind a couple of times reading this comic. This is awesome. This is just like unbelievable fights, unbelievable action. You get really heartwarming, touching shit. Hearing Optimus Prime talk about the human race gives me hope for the future. This is some great <laughs> stuff. I fucking love this issue. When the the emotional roller coaster of seeing like Optimus Prime whoop some ass and then a couple panel panels later Soundwave like boot stomping Optimus Prime in the head. I was just like, holy shit, this comic goes hard. This is really action packed in all the greatest ways. You have Daniel Warren Johnson who loves action but also will play play your heartstrings because oh man there's more coming and it is just glorious this is an absolute glorious comic book between transformers and gi joe there's never been a better time to be a fan of compound what a time to be alive 
Soundwave, Snow Job, all the rest of the Joes. Come it's a on, great man. time to just be a Jazz? fan of words that combine two things that you like. Uh, and to be fair, I will say I know P loved this book because um, I saw him at a truck stop recently and he was just walking through <laughs> and kissing all the tractor trailers in case they happened to be Optimus Prime. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Daddy? that's a beautiful. <laughs> if, you, if you're a red truck, you're going to get a smooch. You're going to get a smooch from Pete because he loves any Optimus Prime. Truck Daddy is out there, and Pete's going to find him and kiss him right on the headlight. But this is great. Optimus Prime does set himself up Fucking as uh, great. Can the I, Jesus can I admit Christ something? By the way, I feel like uh, this is a safe space to admit something. Reading Death. this entire issue, so we when we interviewed Daniel Warren Johnson, we mentioned that Optimus Prime is Truck Daddy, and he's like, oh, I got to use this. This is the issue where I was like, oh, it's going to happen. <laughs> I was say Chuck Daddy. And they did it. They did it. But no, maybe they... next issue. We'll see. I will say saying Back Chuck Daddy up. is a slight undercut from the creative. But let's <laughs> yes. let's remember we interviewed him in November. They're probably like three, four months ahead in the Chuck. scripts. So like I think the next two issues we're gonna get a truck daddy right. <laughs> I think so. Uh, we're gonna take that all the way. Guys, this is great. I don't really have anything to add other than Every issue, it's so emotional. The danger is so palpable for both the humans and the Transformers. I do feel like now that we're getting more Energon Universe titles, I'm excited and interested to see where this is building to because it's clearly building to something. But I don't think that takes away from the experience of reading this title. Yeah, and not, not at all. Well, go ahead, yeah. There you go. I was just, just going to say, I'm excited, but I'm not nervous. Like, this is one of the few times. Those where are I the feel, two emotions. Thank you. I'm usually both, but this I time know. I'm just excited because I really trust the hands that they're in. I mean, this, this is such a badass issue. Like, Starscream gets rolled over, <laughs> you know, like. Oh. And he's an, he's an airplane. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, man. But also, like, cried. When Optimus Prime is giving the fucking speech and like talking about Spike, like holy shit, it's moving. Yeah, man. DWJ has nailed the Optimus Prime voice, one hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, it's very good. I was just gonna say, um, we talked to Joshua Williamson uh, very recently on the live show. We talked to DWJ uh, a couple of months ago, and like the question is, is always for me is like, how did you get? these books to go so hard so quickly and in this and and how are the heroes just under the boot heel from the beginning like that's so surprising to me and when you're launching a line to have the heroes losing so hard and in the end of this issue we finally get a little juice and a little turnaround maybe so very excited for that dude it's you're a great all about the juice man great i stuff. love where the juice is flowing you know juice is gas for truck daddy and i want truck daddy to be yum yum on the juice juice that's <laughs> Well, let's talk about a comic book that I here we go. Can all agree on Rise of the Powers of X, number one from Marvel, written by Karen Gillan, art by R.B. Silva. Pete has recused himself from this podcast. This he crossed is his arm and said, "Harumph." Uh, fall of the House of X, while that is taking place in the current continuity, where the X-Men are fighting against Orcus and trying to save the world, even though the world doesn't want to be saved from Orcus. In Rise of the Powers of X, they've lost. It's 10 years later, and the remaining X-Men are fighting against them, but really what they're fighting against is Mr. Sinister, or more specifically, and this is very confusing, but I'll try to boil it down, 
Nathaniel Essex made four sinister clones to find out a way that he could become a god, which is called the Dominion, which is a machine. AI Falnix god. Yeah, it's a it's a machine intelligence. And this is the thing that Moira McTaggart has been was fighting against at the beginning of this whole Krakora era. And now she's like, just end it, just finish it. I'm on the side of the machine intelligence. Let's finish this off. It's very funny that Moira is like, yeah, fuck it. I want to, I want to root for the winning team. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is, that's the thing that doesn't quite work for me is the arc of Moira McTaggart is not working for me here in this whole plot line. But, and I know Pete 100% disagrees. So I hesitate to even like summon him into the chat, but I, as a fan of what Kieran is Gillen is doing and the amount of effort and thought he is putting into wrapping up the whole era from House of X and Powers of X back in the day, tying it back into the Moira timelines, tying it back into the Sins of Sinister stuff that happened as well, teasing some other stuff. This gave me pleasant vibes of the beginning of that era, which... I know not everybody felt this way, but like that was the most excited I've been about X-Men in a while. And the idea of just what Jonathan Hickman was doing with these text pages, it reminded me of like, oh, yeah, when he revealed the timelines of Moira McTaggart. Yeah, that That was all I talked about for a week with multiple people. So on that level, this is really working for me. And I'm very happy with the issue. Me too. Uh, Whoa, 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 whoa. I just oh, want to dude, jump look, in. Look, Alex, here. you I, called him into the chat. And so, have to talk. Uh, I, you know, I just want to quickly say, Justin, and then you can pick right up. Um, man, it sucks to be one of your friends if you had to go off about that for a whole week. Go ahead, Justin. Look, look Alex, when Al, when Alex was talking, Pete was um, had his arms crossed, back away from the mic. When Pete was talking, Alex poured himself a healthy pour of whiskey. <laughs> we all have our tails, yeah. like James Bond, when we kill families. Uh, oh, I, cl- I cry a, I cry a blood tear right before I kill a family. Oh wow! Uh, j- uh, Casino Royale. The uh, I I think we're gonna get a Moira McTaggart one shot or something to explain mm-hmm. what's happening. Since we got that that great issue that you just mentioned when that established how it all works in her uh, nine all of her timelines. This being the tenth timeline. So that was cool, but uh, so I think that's we have to get that I think to really make good on what that character is. I thought this was fantastic though. Like I love seeing a dystopian X Men team, and I love all the players they establish here. Shadow Tiger, just uh, we get uh, Captain Krakow, who's now um, uh, Miss Marvel. We get an Iron Man AI suit. We get Sink in the Professor Chair, and just regular Wolverine. <laughs> They're all fucked up and weird, and it's just Wolverine's like, I'm just me. Here I am. Yeah. Keep, keep, I'm still going strong. Well, and Nothing we also me. get, and this is getting into spoilers here, but if you read Fall of the House of X and were wondering what was going on with Professor X and Rasputin 4, we get a payoff of a here that I thought was really good. There's a whole I agree. scene with the two of them with cypher there's the indication that there's two secret team members that we don't know about i'm very excited about this i'm really curious how to see how this all ends how this wraps up 
Um, I think there's a great story. It's a bummer that Jonathan Hickman didn't come back, but if you're not going to have him come back, I think Kieran Gillen isn't even the next best thing. He's just a good thing to have on your roster because he understands that kind of complicated storytelling. And I worry about the complexity because there's definitely a way this could tip into being like, what exactly are you talking about? And I feel like the Nathaniel Essex and Sinister of it all is that. It's too complicated with the, the four of them. Way yeah, too com- it's way yeah. too. You can't even keep track of who's who in this fucking comic. Because in this comic alone, we have the idea that Moira McTaggart, if she's anytime she's killed, the timeline ends and it restarts. That's the way they're going to just reboot this line. I think we can say that. I can't but keep they, track of what fucking Sinister is doing what. Well, hold on. we're not talking about Sinister. What we're talking about, and again, we're talking about characters here, that don't make sense listen, in this comic is what we're talking about. The plan here, the last dish effort, because apparently they have stopped Nathaniel Essex from becoming a Dominion and becoming essentially becoming the entire universe multiple times at this point is they've decided we can't keep doing that forever. We're never going to be able to stop him completely. We need to basically do the, should you kill baby Hitler thing? In this case, they're going to go back in time, kill Moira McTaggart before she has her mutation so that they don't reset the timeline. And that way Krakoa will never exist, but the timeline will continue as normal. And to your point, Justin, I don't know. I think there's going to be more twists to come, but that definitely seems yeah. like the way they get out of this. I feel like they're going to end up having a, a pocket of characters that, like in any sort of crossover who will emerge from that, but they will in general reset the timeline as the MCU is moving toward X-Men. I think we're going to get a more core reboot of the whole mm-hmm. line, but just talking about the complexity to so all that stuff we just talked about with Moira McTaggart is happening. But in this issue, it's like, but also if Sinister dies, that resets this timeline. Like, I was like, you're doing this same thing twice. You're layering this in a way. I was like, this is so such a mind bend. But in general, all good. The only real complaint I have is Professor X, Charles Xavier's beard sucks. And he needs to shave that shit down because it looks weird. He looks like if Charlie Brown. He looks like if Charlie Brown grew grew a beard. And no, thank you. He looks like a. (laughs) <laughs> tall anorexic charlie brown in a weird way all right, all right listen this carrie gillum is an unbelievable writer the art in this book is phenomenal the splash pages of the space beautiful you love the space the also known as space yeah the space the space uh, yes i'm the, very familiar with the space i'm going to the, the space stuff. on the spaceship yeah anyways i just think that uh there's some real beautiful panels but otherwise this is a a lot of for lack we of know, a better we word we know it, your take we know yeah take. well and also i'm gonna say this is a lot like even for somebody it's a who lot has read all of this loves all of this understands all of this this issue is like oh this is well this, this is, a- is the type of thing that like when i was on the outside of the nerd fence looking in Mm-hmm. And yeah. people would start talking about characters and get into these long-winded kind of like, just tell me who the fuck they are and which side they're on. You know, like this is mm-hmm. so complicated and dumb in such a mm-hmm. way that is exhausting that I just I can't I, wait for I the think, reset. I don't know. Like two things that I'll say about that. One, there's a very Kieran Gillen on Die, which... I love that series initially, oh, and eventually it became 
Being die like, is amazing. Die is amazing, but there was a level where like, oh no, wait, Kieran Gillen just turned into role play. <laughs> that that's all this is at this point. And well, that's the the narrative spun out because it felt yeah. like he was just establishing worlds and details for the role playing game that was yeah. coming after. So there's a little bit of that, but I'll also throw out there as I was walking my son to school in the morning and he he's nine years old loves the X-Men. Like he is not quite up to the point we are. He's slowly reading through them, but he loves Fall of X. He loves all this stuff. He's super into it. We were talking about the X-Men movies because we watched X-Men the movie over the weekend. And I was trying to explain the continuity. And I said to him, I was like, well, you know how the X-Men is always very complicated. He was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's like, yum, yum. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's always like, the highest level of difficulty of anything in comics. It's very funny, though, because we grew up where the X-Men were simple as apple pie. Yeah. They were just like, let's all hang out in this big house and occasionally play baseball <laughs> and occasionally be attacked by whatever. By yeah, some but other I don't know. But while we were growing up, that was Chris Claremont took it. It was like, what if we made it an ongoing soap opera where I laid something in that isn't going to pay off for 30 issues at this point? And but, that's but what I will everybody has taken from the X-Men. Yes, but he did it in order. I feel like mm -hmm. now we've gotten into it. Like, no one else has the luxury of the Chris Claremont timeline of being like, I'm going to be on this book for, you know, however many yeah, years. That's true. Now everyone's like, I'm going to set this up and it's going to be so complicated. I'm going to pay it <laughs> off in three months. It's like, what? And so... They're compressing the complexity when Chris Claremont got to just lay out, put 10 things on the table and then slowly move through them. So it was a more simple, clean bit of storytelling. And I say that time. when also he was like, yeah, um, Professor X's girlfriend is Lalandra from space. She's sort of a bird and uh, he has to sometimes has to go rescue her. And it's like, what? They're dating? <laughs> That's the old Canadian girlfriend. Yeah, my girlfriend's a uh, you know, bird yeah, from space. Yeah, yeah but it was right. a space bird. Why yeah, don't we move bird. on, talk about Fables 165 yeah! from DC Comics, written by Bill Willingham, art by Mark Buckingham. Once again, Fables is coming to an end. This is the penultimate issue Woo! of Fables. This time, maybe it's coming to an end for real forever because there's yeah. been some behind-the-scenes drama with Bill Willingham and DC. But Pete... You seem super into this issue, so take oh, it away. What a powerful issue this was. Um, oh, my God. Just the way it starts with this sad giant wolf. Love the imagery of that to start the kind of book. Love the details and the artwork in this comic. Just badass splash pages. Epic battle sequence here we get in this. Uh, just so cool. I love this comic. It's just such a damn staple. I mean, Fables is a level of comic books, I feel like, and it's just been so unique and so creative for so long. Um, yeah, I just, ah, uh, the cliffhanger ending at the end. Oh my God, what an issue. Um, yeah, please somebody remind me to put Fables on the top of my list for uh, the best of 2024. Uh, it didn't make it in 23. Uh, love the Ham Ham we have here. Yeah, dude, this, you gotta love the Ham Ham. This this book is great. Uh, sad. I hope they find a way to bring it back. I think it's just always a great read, even though we know the nature of these stories and the tragic situation that this issue brings our characters into. It's always fun to read it when they're doing it. 
Yeah. Uh, I will digress a little bit and say I hope it doesn't end with this arc because I think it's been good as always, but we already had a really good conclusion to Fables and then it went on for a bunch of issues. We had another conclusion to Fables. This one feels to me just like, I don't know, an extra mini series, which I like and I love yeah. Mark Bucky. That's more what things it is. that we like, dude. That's yeah, it's a little extra. It's like, yeah. hey, I gave you a pizza. Do you want another slice of pizza? I'm like, sure, I'll have another yeah. slice of pizza. Yeah, we're all saying the same you, thing. So yeah, some of us are more excited about it. Yeah. Another piece of pizza, yes. Yes. Acid but this chip. one's a little colder. This one's a little colder, the pizza. I love cold pizza. Acid chip versus business dog, number one from Ohio Comics, written by Mark Russell and Bryce Ingham. Ingman, excuse me, art by Steve Pugh and Peter Krause. This is mixing together a character from My Bad and a character from Business Dog. Business Dog is a dog who basically just doesn't even know business so much as like think people think he knows business and he's a he's billionaire dog. Business. Acid Chip, as you can probably figure out from the title, loves throwing acid on people. Well, that see that's that's different because I when I saw this I was like oh it's like an odd couple book where you have acid chimp who's always wasted on acid and then you got business dog who's very uh, much like oh we got that's no, what no, I thought acid chimp loves acid and he loves throwing acid on people he likes uh, murdering people with acid is what he likes yeah I love that's a this dark book, twist I guess is my point uh, this is great <laughs> this is like. Slightly less on the satire level than Mark Russell usually is. At. I would say it's lighter on the satire, it's yes. On the satire. Pretty light. But it's mostly about bits, and it's the bits are acid chip being like, hey, how can we get acid in acid chip's hands? Mrs. Dog is such a dumb bit of like, he does nothing. He just walks around and everybody treats him as a billionaire. I don't know. I had fun reading this book. And you got Steve Pugh and Peter Krause on art. I've said Steve Pugh before as like the commensurate satire artist of our time, but Peter Krause fits in there really well as well. So I really like this one shot. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, fun, fun comedy comic. It's great. Uh, Great to see those out there. And the fact that this is like a continuing universe is also very funny. Yeah, I think it's a crazy premise, but very enjoyable, and uh, the artwork is delightful. Midlife, or How to Hero at 50, number four from Image Comics, written by Brian Bucciolato, art by Stefani Simeone. The We are following a character mm. who is in his 50s, I believe, who finds out that he is fireproof and kind of control fire. He's dealing with a bunch of shady organizations who are interested in him, and we get a big blowout in terms of the mythology, this issue. What'd you guys think about this? I love the, the way this book has everybody on the same page. Like, so many comics, like, have our hero and has to slice up, like, family and friends and, like, hiding identity or confessing or someone doesn't like it. In this book, and maybe that's sort of the point about, like, midlife, where it's like, everyone's sort of like, yeah, it's cool, your thing is now you are fired. And like his his partners on board with him, his friends, they're all like, "Yo, this lady's messing with you. Let's fuck her up." I like it's just like, I love the vibe of this comic is so good, and it's just a really nice uh, story that they're able to of a new hero, which is hard to do. 
Yeah, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in this issue. Um, you know, you got flashbacks to drunk driving and there's the fun ball gag stuff. Um, <laughs> the art's great. The story's insane. I'm hoping things get a little bit uh, quieter so I can enjoy it. But uh, mm. yeah, it's still I still am having a good time when, with this team. To that point, and I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying, Pete, there's a little too much mythology in this issue building. What I, what I liked about the th first three issues of this book was that it was literally like, what if a 50-year-old found out that he had superpowers and had dealt with that relatively realistically? This issue is much more comic booky. I didn't hate it. Yeah. I still really like the art, like the writing, like the characters, but there's a lot of stuff thrown in there, and I hope we don't lean that way. Instead, I would... I like the slice of life of it. Like, what if this guy just found out he had superpowers? What would that mean? That's more than enough for me with this book. Mm. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about two advanced books. I, I think we should talk about them together, if that's all right. The One yeah. Hand, number one, out February 7th from Image Comics, written by Ram V, art by Lawrence Campbell and Lee Lowridge, and The Six Fingers, number one, out February 21st from Image Comics, written by Dan Waters, art by Sumit Kumar and Lee Lowridge. Now, they were a little coy in the initial announcement of this, presenting this as two different series. They're not. They're two paired series, one of which shows us a cop, essentially one day from retirement, finding out that the serial killer that he chased and put away for years is back somehow. And the other book is showing us the person who is potentially uh, causing those crimes, bringing that serial killer back, or maybe not. We don't exactly know. Um, and the lead leverage of it all, uh, just so you know, is designing the books, basically the layout of the books, layout of the covers. But otherwise, it has two different writers, two different artist teams, but they're very much tied together and showing us opposite ends of the spectrum. I think this is a phenomenal experiment that I'm so excited to follow. Both books feel very distinct, but of course tied together in terms of the plot, and they are both worth following on their own merits. I agree. Like it's such a fun stunt to be doing these at the same time, and to you know, it, it's like a little mini universe. I guess you could call it like a one-story universe, and you're getting to see two very different perspectives on the same occurrences. And I'm skirting a little bit just so we don't spoil anything, but like. I liked, I thought these were great. I'm equally interested in both of them. Yeah, I really love this. Uh, I just wish the kind of second title didn't give it away a little bit in the first one. Um, but I really think that like, I love the creative idea and the execution on this. It's really done well. Um, and I would love to see, like uh, Zalbatron is saying, I would love to see more stuff like this where you kind of read along and kind of have these ideas connect in, in ways that you didn't see coming. So I think it's uh, very unique and cool. Um, it just stinks that like the title of the second one kind of g gives it away a little bit. Uh, well, it's coming it's okay. out weeks later. Yeah. yeah, it's coming out weeks later, and I think there's mysteries to come from both of them. I think what we are getting in these issues is not necessarily what's happening. Um, they're both, by the way, 
noir mysteries that are sci-fi. They're both set in the future in a fictional city. So there's a lot of elements of that. It's not quite Blade Runner level, but it's skirting that a bit. And in terms of the experiment, it's very different, but it reminds me a little bit of what they're doing over in Radiant Black, where we're getting two very different stories that are tied together. So great. More, uh, More of this. Like, let's get more things that just try things with the comic book format. I love that Image Comics is allowing them to do this. I love that Ram V and Den Waters are doing this together. Two great creators that are on a roll right now and have the ability to try something absolutely wild. They're also two very different feeling series at the same time. So really good stuff. Definitely check this out. Definitely pick them both up. Let's move on and talk about Giant Size Spider-Man number one from Marvel, written by Cody Ziegler, art by Ivan Coelho. This is kicking off the, I believe, 50th anniversary of Giant Size with issues that are supposed to be game-changing for the main characters. Here we're getting Miles Morales encountering the new younger Venom for the first time, the son of Eddie Brock. Um, I like this issue but it didn't quite pay off on the giant size premise for me. What did you guys think? Yeah, I wouldn't call this uh, changing the uh, big character changing events. But one thing that it, it gave me that I hadn't seen before or thought about is um, there was a, a section that talked about how Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Spider-Man was t- uh, has been um, in like therapy and really thinking about how his powers work. And it's changing the way his, his Spidey sense works. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Of course, like Spidey Sense is a sense, something you could work on and get better at perceiving. And I love that. I hadn't had that sort of forward thinking perspective on a power set like this. And I was very into that side of it. The Venom stuff I thought was fine. I wish we got more about the young, sort almost Shazam style Venom, I think we can call him, like a, a Venom that isn't really in control. He's a kid. The symbiote seems to just run over him uh, from a who's in charge perspective. I would like to see more of that being at play rather than it felt like just a standard Venom's losing control. His tongue is licking stuff uh, issue. Well, I mean, when you first get your Venom suit, he, uh, the Venom's going to boss you around a little bit until you can find ways to push back. But it's yeah, uh, like riding a, a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At first, when you're or riding a horse, a, when you're riding a bike, you know, it's kind of in control more than you are like a horse. But yeah, I, wait, the I, bike you rode a bike for the first time. The bike's telling you what's up. Yeah, bike was like, no, no, we're not turning left. And it's like, have oh, you ever ridden a horse on a bicycle? Because that's rough. Yeah, that's really hard. Um, I screw up in the circus. But to get back to this a little bit, uh, JTCs, I really agree with you. I think that's such a great idea to explore, not only getting in touch with his spidey sense more, but understanding it and understanding the kind of the different things that are happening to him. I think that's such a great idea to kind of explore whether that's like a metaphor for therapy or just a metaphor for getting mm-hmm. to know your own self a little bit and what things yeah. mean. Um, so yeah, a lot of possibilities there, which I was happy that they kind of cracked open and uh, kind of looked around. But, you know, just fun kind of classic team up where they fight and then they kind of team up, but then they're fighting again. But then Missy has to, Misty shows up and is like, yo, chill out. And they're like, okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, love the art, love the writing on this. 
I didn't have a problem with it being called giant sized, uh, but I did uh, think it was a big enough event for the title. Do you think with Venom, the symbiote licks something you taste it if you're in the soup? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. That they say busy. if you taste something in the suit, you taste something in real life. Mm. <laughs> That's what it's talking about. Was that a quote you looked up? Who uh, said that? Uh, was that Winston Churchill? What yeah. was he talking Who is You're talking about the Matrix? Yeah. Winston Churchill was like, we are Winston Churchill. <laughs> Whoa. Eddie. Famous symbiote. Um Green Lantern, number seven. Can we move on to that? DC Comics, yeah. written by Jeremy Adams and Peter J. Tomasi. Art by Amanke Napulpen and David LaFuente. In the front story, we're jumping back in time to show how, how Jordan left the Green Lantern Corps. Also, the cover promises us one of these characters will die. We know from the last issue, it was Kilowog. Uh, so we find out how uh, Kilowog dies. And then the backup story we're following, Sin Sun, the son of uh, Sinestro. Sinestro. Sinestro, there you go. And leading into Sinister Sons, where he is going Sight. to team up with the son of Zod. What do you guys think about this issue? Uh, back, back story first. I'm psyched for Sinister Sons. That's going to be a fun book. The same team that was on Super Sons with an evil spin. Um, I've been liking this Green Lantern run, this story. Uh, I like the flashback of the first chunk of it where they're like, hey, you guys are all reassigned. You're not. Earth isn't a thing anymore. And uh, Guy Gardner, like, it was just like a nice little bit of backstory, a flashback that I thought really worked. Um, and I am uh, i don't think Kilowog is dead, especially the way they talked about what happened after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Al was Jordan's... last issue. I was like, wow, they killed Kilowog. And this issue, I was like, oh, he's alive. <laughs> Hal Jordan's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. There's some strange emotional spectrum thing. Anyway, my friend's dead. I was like, what? You don't even believe what you're saying. <laughs> There's no emotion here. Uh, but anyway, I like this series, though. Yeah, I, I really love the backup story, the art and the writing on it are really amazing. Um, you know, it was tough to see uh, Kilowog get his ass handed to him in this, but it was also great to see Kilowog and one of my uh, favorite uh, characters from the Green Lantern team. Dead. Um, thanks, bro. Yeah, you know. He, he's not, though. I wish they hadn't tipped their hands so much. I've been really liking the story so far. Jumping back in time and, like, trying to trick us into showing how Kilowog died, but actually telling us that Kilowog is probably alive was a bit of a bummer. As for the backstory, I agree with you guys. This is doing such a great job of teasing up citizens. I can't wait for that. Peter J. Tomasi is putting his whole Tomasi into this one, I would say, and I think we can all agree. What? Oh, yeah, definitely all agree on the. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. <laughs> Disney that's, villain. The that's the goblin serum talking right now. <laughs> I think so. I've been sitting on that one for weeks. Disney villains Cruella DeVille, number one from Dynamite, written by Sweetie Boo, art by Miriana Puglio. The Disney villains line has been really punching above its weight so far. I think we've enjoyed it. He loves it. Every book out of this. This one, of course, is following on the lady who killed dogs. Pete. Do you like it when people kill dogs? Take it away. No. No, I hate uh, when people kill dogs. Oh. Um, but you have a dog skin coat, though, right? No, I do not. Yeah, the dog dogs are alive. Coat. They're just like muscle dogs. 
So I love this whole villains thing that uh, they're doing here. Uh, this issue I did not like, unfortunately. Wow. Oh, why not? You don't like Cruella. Nah, She's too not mean. A big, I don't like Cruella. I don't like the whole dog hating thing. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to watch um, and hard to read. Yeah, she is famously a villain. Mm-hmm. Yep, a Disney villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this was pretty fun. I like that they're uh, they're definitely getting us to sympathize with her, similar to the Emma Stone uh, mm-hmm. movie, um, but in a in a slightly different way. The dogs seem to be really getting after her for the whole murder. Yeah, they don't like it. Thing. It's surprising to see this as a sequel to One Hundred and One Dalmatians. The other ones have shown us other views on it or gone prequel and. I, yeah, I don't know if this worked as much for me. Well, I think I I actually liked that they did sequel because I don't know where else you go. Yeah. And I think it's just this is this is the first issue transitioning to where we get. I think maybe the second issue is is going to be a better starting point to really mm-hmm. get on board with the character. Yeah, it is a uh, Cruella Deville is one of the weirder Disney villains because the rest of them were like I'm magical and Cruella Deville is like I like. <laughs> goats out of dogs yeah i like household pet uh, fashion and that's my whole thing (laughs) i'm literally hiring uh, two guys to kill a hundred puppies i won't rest until these hundred puppies are dead and skinned and made into a coat that i'm gonna wear presumably outside and people are gonna be like where'd you get that coat and she's like i skinned 101 puppies for it where'd you get your coat a store it's made out of cotton. Okay. You can do that. I thought you had to kill animals for your clothes. Anyway, uh, I guess we'll see what happens in the second issue. Let's move on and talk about Crave number two from Image Comics oh, by Maria Love. Oh, yeah. This is about a app on a college campus. I assume that yeah. basically you text it and it's like, hey, I want to have sex with this person. And they're like, do it. And that's pretty much all. <laughs> the, uh, the app is making those hookups happen. Yeah, exactly. And it's an extension of uh, Tinder or other type of app. I should mention Pete has taken off his headphones. He doesn't want to be involved in this conversation. Too much sex in this comic. Too him. much Girl sex Pete. in this conversation. And Pete has never had sex. So Pete. Yeah, or seen it. Yeah, or seen it on screen or off. Justin, <laughs> what did you think about uh, I, I really like this book. Uh, Maria Lovett uh, also did uh, Faithless and uh, also a book with a lot of sex in it. Um, I think this book is just going right at it. It's a smarter, I like the premise more. It feels like a whole idea. And it's just, she does a great job of just laying out the anticipation of sex and showing it in these characters and these characters who are like rejecting the app and then giving into it in different ways like it's it's just a very it's a sexual book which is why pete doesn't like it but it's also very sexy and it's very like mm-hmm. it has just so much uh, for lack of a better word juice to it and uh i love it oh my god real love it's don't tell is... me about why i don't like this book okay okay why but don't you tell is us why you don't like it why don't you tell us using different words or the same words? yeah not okay. focusing on the sexuality which is the thing that yeah. bothers you take it away pete well, this book is very overly sexualized. Okay, um, for you, for you. Those no, are the words it, we said I would about say you. that I would say that this book. That's saying that this what this book is. 
But I was saying, like, it's not overly sexualized for me. I think it's a you have They're having sex ex- from the start of the book to the end. It's all sometimes, sex. That's sometimes how the day goes. How could it not be overly sexualized if I'm it's all sex? I'm having sex 24-7. I don't know about that. That's sometimes how the day that goes. That can't be true because we're in the 24-7 and you're clearly not having sex. Hey, Pete, ever heard of The weekend? From Yeah, have you ever? Uh, you're only seeing up from my chest to my head. You don't know what's That's going a great point. That's a great, great reveal from Alex. He's just I, having sex while talking <laughs> pretty, pretty calmly about comics. Or to go there at all. But listen, do you want I me cannot, to tip my screen down with that help? I'm just saying that, like, uh, yes, I, I get crave it. that. I, crave I get that, it, Alex. I get it. This oh, app makes you no. want to have sex. I, you know what I mean? Like, what else are you trying to say in this fucking story? You know what I mean? I think a lot, actually. Like, I think it's about the nature of desire and, like, uh, taboo things, what we want, but we don't let ourselves have when it comes to that. It's very good. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, mean, that, I, I agree with that. I think it was that's that one person was like, oh, I don't want to do this. But then they were like, oh, but I do. Yes. That's taking, true about sex in a lot of different places. Yes. It's taking sure. the idea of dating apps in particular, and I think stretching them to their extreme, like Justin is saying, it's taking the idea of, what does it mean if you can get an answer on your every desire? Will you still go for it? I don't think this issue worked as well for me as the first issue, to be honest. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not agreeing sex. with you, to be clear. Too much sex. No, I, I think the first issue was a little clearer on like the sci-fi premise here. It was delving into the relationships, which is important for the arc of the comic book. Um, but it got, it got, it's it a little more into the sex of the whole thing, but I find this very intriguing. It's interesting. And again, early of arts art is absolutely gorgeous. Let's go to another advanced one. The Infernals number one, this is out February 14th from image comics written by Noah Gardner and Ryan Parrott art by John J. Pearson. This is about a guy who makes a deal with the devil, or rather he is the son of the devil he has three kids of his own, King Lear style. He is dying, and he needs to pass on the family business to one of them, but they all suck. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of where we go from there. I thought this was a really great, smart premise. It's like succession goes to hell is essentially what it is. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, very fun. Agree. Uh, and obviously we can't say too much about it. So I'm just going to agree with Alex. And like, I thought it was really good. The art has the nice, a nice dark edge to it, but succession goes to hell is a great way to describe it. Uh, yeah, I, I really can't say enough about the art. I mean, it really has some unbelievable, like, ideas of comic book art and then breaking the form like we they play with this idea of six panels for a couple pages and they completely break that with some giant splash page reveals that are just really so creative and so interesting as far as like comic book art and sequential art so it's just really impressive for what they're doing and then there's a lot of god and devil stuff yeah, John J. Pearson's art, I would say, feels very in line with a classic Vertigo book to me. It's yeah. also not exactly that, but I think it's complementary to a Something is Killing the Children, a Werther del Daria. It's not quite as exaggerated, but very fun. If you're a fan of Preacher or other books like that, I think this is a good, very similarly profane book to check out. I'm really excited to see where this goes. 
let's talk about Star Wars. Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Pete knew where I was going. Star Wars number 42 from Marvel, written by Charles Soule. Hey, Charles Soule, he's going to be on our show. We should talk to him about this. We should. He's going to be on the live show next week. But I thought it was worth talking about this because we've been talking about the Dark Droids crossover why not check out the main star wars title and see what's going on with that we haven't done that in a while and we've got luke skywalker is continuing his training on his own and trying to figure out how to purify kyber crystals who have been corrupted by the dark side of the force what'd you guys think about this i think the real subtitle of this book is luke he's got a girlfriend Ooh, it's gonna happen maybe he's gonna kiss someone who's not his sister here Mm -hmm. oh Uh, that really struck me with this issue as well i was like wait a second luke's only sexual experience is kissing his sister that's messed up you don't know that you don't know that i mean well we're gonna find out show it to me i want to see it in a real love it style yeah i want to have him kiss his aunt or someone like that you know Mm Yeah, Second I felt like this was removed. this was fine. This was fun, but it was also like, hey, what if Star Wars, but also crystals? Huh? People love crystals. Well, that's what I, I like mean, about it is Charles Soul is finding a way to find another avenue for some story that is different, is separate from the the mythology we know, but doesn't have to conflict with it. Like this is that's why I thought this was another another smart issue by Charles Soul. I mean, he has great ideas and great execution. I love when I see his name on book. Yeah. And on a podcast. Yes, I agree. Um, I thought it was really good. I liked the exploration of the red kyber crystals. It's definitely the sort of deep Star Wars stuff that I don't love all the time, but I had a fun time reading this. I also liked the little jab at uh, Luke there with the Jester Jedi. That was fun. Mm -hmm. He's a goof. He's a goof. Outsiders, number three from DC Comics, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Robert Carey. The Outsiders are tasked with exploring weird mysteries in the DC universe, and here they're uh, checking out a thought space or a dream space where all the Batmans of the multiverse get together. Batwoman deals with it very differently from Luke Fox. We get a couple of other characters in there. I have some thoughts about this one, but I'd love to hear from you guys first. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought this was like really fun, tripped out issue in all the right ways. Lots of Batman and Batwomen, but Batfish was my favorite and the art was super tight nanans. So, uh, yeah, loved it. Great. Getting weirder as we go. Good. Mm -hmm. The uh, this book definitely this issue is such a strange departure from what this book was so, sort of being um, a real sort of deep dive into what it means to be a member of the bat family. Uh, it actually paid off. I think the fact that we have Luke Fox and Batwoman as our main characters. So this as an issue was cool to get them there, but it was like a mind bending philosophical one shot uh, that to, to me to do this as a third issue was a surprise, but I did enjoy it. I really like the plot of this issue. I'm, I don't mean this derogatorily at all because I like his art. I think Robert Carey is drawing some really good, solid superhero comics. Planetary, which is this based on, was drawn by John Cassidy. This is mm. not 
at that level. And this wow. is oh, it's not I'm rip. sorry, I feel bad even you saying should. that out loud because you I should. don't think what Robert Carey is doing is bad. It's I, not. I do think though He called issue, it tight nan nans. You did yeah, call it tight nan nans. This is an issue that reminded me a lot, we talk about this incessantly, but the Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, Cordovalo is going through the maze issue. Yeah, yeah. And that's what this needed. This needed that MC Escher breaking the mm. panel structure thing. And instead, what we're getting here is good, solid superhero comics with Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are writing for is something beyond psychedelic yes exactly we need well it's funny a... that you said beyond because that's what it's fucking called bro what no it's called outsiders number well, three outsiders yeah i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> those are two different words yeah, yeah i i i just think this title and i've felt this since the beginning and i've wanted to give it the latitude to grow but it needs a transformative artist on the line of like Wow. Uh, John Cassidy what? needs who did a uh, fall sunrise. I'm forgetting, but it needs. Oh, uh, yeah. Whoever that is. I'm totally blanking out the name of the dude. Uh, artist. That's Pete's, one of Pete's favorites. Go fuck yourself, dude. I just had to open this back up to relook at it after all the blasphemy you've been talking. The panels where you have all the different Batmans is just so good. It looks good. What? It's great, man. The the it, nuance. It looks good. It is workmanlike work for DC that I think is really solid. What and well are you done. saying? I want more out of this. I you want, want trad. You want Tradmore. The Tradmore. I want Tradmore. I want something like. I want to be reading J.H. Williams the third on Batwoman. Yes. I want something that is blowing my mind. And right now the stories are at that level and the art is not at that level. Hard disagree. Wow. All right. Let's talk about Adventure Man Ghost Lights, number one, from Image Comics, written by Mac Fraction, art by Terry and Rachel Dodson. We are back with Adventure Man, who's actually a woman. She has been captured by a ghost hung upside down. Ghosts are trying to take over the city, but the siblings of Adventure Man are trying to take it back. Um, what'd you think? This has been gone for a while. Were you happy to see Adventure Man's return? I like this comic. The punch the, the Batwoman delivers on the fucking bad guy in this and... Is is such a great panel capturing action in a still moment. It's incredible. And that's your review of Adventure Man Ghost Lights yeah. number one. Well, this re-edit this so that goes before. Good. Uh, Please do, because what you're saying, like I can understand what you're saying about like but this is a, a well executed idea ar articulated through the art in such a unique way. The fact that you're trashing it just blows my mind. Here's I guess you have thing. a different take. I'm a guy who can't draw stuff talking about art and writing on a comic book podcast. Whatever grain of salt you want to use, go right ahead. And but he's I'm in also... the middle of having sex, as he said. I am. Uh, but... I'm yeah, like maybe... so close right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Adventure Man number one, Ghost Lights. Uh, 
I, I like this series. I like this world. Though this one, it feels like I missed an issue, even though mm-hmm. it's a number one. It comes up in the middle in such a way where I'm like, I just want a little bit of preamble to get us into where we are. I like jumping into her being captured from the from the yeah, beginning. That's a fun of the start. Issue. Fun start. But it's just it's such a world that we've been away for it for a bit. I would like a little bit more uh, just getting us into the story. Well, particularly because I think this is a two issue mini series. It is two issues. Yeah. It feels like Matt Fraction will be like, did you read the previous one? Doesn't matter. Here we go. And Terry and Rachel Dodson's art is phenomenal, as yes. always. I am yeah. into the idea of ghosts attacking a city. That's very fun. But I, I agree with you, Justin. This is, I've read every Adventure Man, and it was still like, what's happening? What's going on? Yeah. Who are these characters? Because we still, we know Adventure Man, and we know her son, but we don't know the rest of her family that well so far. So I need more time with them. I, I don't know. I thought this was a really kind of fun, you know, number one issue where you had this kind of great start. You have this old school kind of cowboy uh, kind of uh, guy. And then you have these like ghosts and then the ghost train, which I thought was fun. And I thought the ending was great with the or else line. Uh, just kind of a classic, you know, shaking your fist kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I felt like it was a solid comic and there isn't much to kind of catch you up on. I mean, we're supposed to be hanging upside down with chains on us, you know, along with the main character here. Yeah, yeah. which I did when I read it. Yeah, smart. smart. The Cabinet, number one, out February 14th from Don't Image Comics, written by David Ebeltoft. Art by Jordan Hart. We are following a girl who did something wrong with the Magic Cabinet. It is now... I guess jumping through realities is probably the idea. Um, And always like sliders trying to make her way home. Um, What do you think about this kickoff issue? Uh, I like this, though. It was a little bit hard to tell exactly what was happening. Um, Sure. The ideas are cool. I like sort of the the way the dialogue was written. But it was hard. The character, we introduced to a character in the second half of the book. I was like, who is this person? Where did he come from? And what's the deal with him? Uh, so just like a little more cohesion from the writing side. Well, uh, speaking of the writing, I love the fact that we really let the art uh, uh, tell the story in the beginning of this. We had no words in the beginning, which I really appreciated. Uh, love the kind of look and feel of the characters. This was an interesting uh, premise, and I really liked how the art did a lot of the talking. I mean, we got a lot of bright colors and a lot of action. I just think artistically, this was a banger. I really liked how this looked as well. I agree with you, Pete. A good looking book, but I also agree with you, Justin, that I think plot wise, it jumps around a bunch. It has a really solid concept in there in terms of, She has this cabinet. She has to return things to the cabinet and get them in there. It's a very clear, like, almost TV pilot premise in a certain way. They would be like, oh, we got to get 100 things back in these 100 drawers in different realities. That's how it works so that they could get to syndication. So very clear setup there. But it jumps forward a little bit too much to hold on to. But... I don't know. It's something I'm curious to check out more of to see if it settles down a little bit in the second issue. 
Speaking of second issues, Thunderbolts number two for Marvel, written by, once again, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Geraldo yeah. Borges. In the first issue, Bucky has killed the Red Scholar, or at least that what he thought. They have headed to the Hellfire Club, where Kingpin is now the White King, and he's holding an auction for the Red Skull's fortune, or at least that's what he think, thinks. There's a bunch of twists and turns. What do you guys think about this? I thought this was really cool. I like their called the Team Thruple. Uh, throughout, we get uh, Bucky and two Black Widows uh, running around. Black Widow and White Widow, yeah. Yeah, uh, the two Widows, I should say, yes. And I just, the great character work here. I like the distinction made between them. It's very exciting to me to see Bucky and Black Widow sort of, you know, they're back at it a little bit here. Oh, like yeah. Their relationship is back on, really into that. Great action, making great out, making sort out, of power, power sets we have here. I won't say what it is. But uh, this is a great issue. I I think this is Thunder I, the Thunderbolts. I've been really enjoying uh, these first two and more, more than previous series. Yeah, I thought this was a hell of an ish. Um, bad name alert, but Kingpin changes his name to the White King. Boo! Uh, that's not just because he's of the Hellfire Club. He's not. That's not his name. It's more of a title. That's yeah, still yeah. dumb. He's a chess uh, piece. Nope. He is. Uh, nope. Do you think on his chess piece it's going to be like a more round chess piece? What, round what are we game? talking about right now? Let me throw out something to you guys with Kingpin that bothers me a little bit. Like, I don't have a huge problem with it. But the white suits? Not practical? Nope. The cane. He doesn't need a cane. The idea that he can fight multiple superheroes to a standstill is a little insane to me. Like I can He's get, huge! Like, Frank can, Miller. He's just a that. regular guy. He has He's not no a superpower, superpowers. I can not get true. with the idea of like, he's so huge, he could take down Daredevil solo or fight him to a standstill. Same thing with Spider-Man. But in this issue, he's fighting Bucky and two widows. And I'm like, no, they would take you. That wouldn't work. Hmm. That's fair. I think he's a little, he's become the Wolverine of the Marvel universe where he's sort of everywhere doing everything in the mm -hmm. last couple of months. So that he's a little overexposed. I did love the, uh, the sort of robot villain they have in here. I thought that was a cool uh, character they created for this issue. Yeah, I agree. I like the robot villain as well. Also like the little smoochy poo at the end. Mm -hmm. Good issue. Titans beast world. Number four. Excuse me. From DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor. <laughs> what a cute burp. Yep. Hiccup. Uh, hiccup. Uh, written by Tom Taylor, art by Lucas Meyer. Bunch of stuff going on in the DC universe. And here, Amanda Waller is making some big moves to take down Gar Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, who has turned into a gigantic Garo and taken over the world with his beast spores. Um... What'd you think? Justin, I'm curious to hear from you. You've been a fan of this Beast World storyline so far. Well, I, I like the the main ideas of it. It's just I feel like the spin-off issues have been just a little all over the place. I like the big action we have here. The uh taking down of Giganta and the way that she is uh, taken over. I thought that was a really great sequence. And the re the emotional things that happen here are great and devastating. I am overexposed to Amanda Waller. 
I want uh, less of her. And the Peacemaker in this makes you not like our guy Peacemaker. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it was pretty funny, his whole thing about, like... He's just he, killing people. That yeah, he, he, he was like, oh, my bad. You know, like, he, he was, they were like, yo, you, you just shot my son. He was like, oh, my, my bad, man. I apologize. But that was pretty funny. Anyways, uh, I thought this was a great issue. I'm the person who's been enjoying the Beast World uh, thing. Um, um, and, yeah, this continues to be great. Um, yeah, I mean, this was... You know, yeah, the giant bear attack uh, was kind of insane. Also, it seems like, you know, spoilers, but Beast Boy dies in this issue, so that's super sad. But, yeah, I'm enjoying this arc and this event very much so. Petrol Head, number three from Image Comics, written by Rob Williams, art by Pi Parr. We are following a robot who is trying to get a human girl out of a city to potentially change the world. Pete, you're a big fan of this one, so why don't you take it away? Yes, stop talking about it so monotonely. This is a hell of an issue. Uh, just, oh my God. Uh, stakes keep getting higher and higher. We got an evil robot overlord here. Uh, can, you know, uh, Petrol Hud team up here for the win? Uh, join us next time. Just love the kind of way this comic ends and gets you hyped for what's to come. Love the art. The gritty kind of like post-APOC feel that it has to it is so great. I love all the gearhead car stuff. This is just so badass in all the right ways. I'm having a great time. Even when the evil robot overlord was like, yeah, we created Petrolhead as kind of an underdog story. I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be one hell of an underdog story, especially when it wrecks your ass. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm just so excited about this book. Every issue so far has been a banger, and this is no exception. I'm having a blast with this whole world. If Optimus Prime is Truck Daddy, then Petrol Head is Uncle Trucky. Yeah, Uncle goes. Trucky. Uncle Trucky's just driving Keep around smoking trucking. cigars like Bender from Futurama. I liked the backstory we get in this issue. It is helpful to set up some of the other stuff. And the art is cool. It's great. Tear Us Apart, number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jay Peruchel and Van Jensen, art by Alessandro Michelli. This is the final issue of this oh. miniseries, I believe, as we follow two characters who are fighting against a mystical martial arts organization, which is bent on destroying love. I guess love, <laughs> love. Yeah, you know. technically the guy. And the they guy fight hates back love. against that. Pete, did this issue put you back together after tearing you apart? Yes, it did. I, I mean, the, this comic starts hard here with this premise of like this guy being like, "Yo, love doesn't win. Death is what it's about." And it's like, "Yo, bro, just because you hate rom coms, don't take it out on us." Uh, amazing art, amazing story. I really love this. So badass, and uh, also so adorable at times. But man, uh, yeah, just what a cool kind of uh, uh, way for a uh, young couple to kind of beat the fuck out of some people with their love. You know what I mean? I really liked the first uh, two to three issues of this, and this felt like sort of a uh, there wasn't weren't a lot of surprises in this final issue. I wanted a little bit more. Um, it felt like it was real paint by numbers. You weren't surprised by that love one in the end. No, yeah, I thought that was going to happen. 
Oh, okay. The Century, number two from Marvel, written by Jason Liu, art by Luigi Zagaria with David Cutler. The Century's powers have been showing up in various people all across the world. Meanwhile, we have a jerk who keeps killing people <laughs> and taking their Century powers um, <coughs> secretly. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. What do you guys think about this? Uh, the I I I like the idea behind this. It just feels a little like we know the bad guy's the bad guy, and no one else does. And I we're so far ahead of our heroes trying to track this down. So I I look forward to the catch up, and maybe it'll happen in the next issue. But man, this bad guy keeps winning. He mm-hmm. keeps killing people. Yeah, the void. Uh, I assume it's the void that is taking over this. Yeah, we well, gotta of this you gotta issue. avoid the noid. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Annoyed I just the think void. I'm not a big fan of the century. Um, so this really isn't doing a lot for me. But uh, interesting kind of premise and uh, interesting bad guy. Not I'm, enough it, sex. Got it. Yeah, you want to yeah. see more like fucking yeah, for the, from whole, the century. Like, whole, like, I. You know what I mean? I agree with you, Justin. I think, I don't know, this is my very specific thing with the century, but I want to see more delving into psychological trauma. I want to see more delving into mental health. That's not what we're getting here. Maybe we will get that. I think there's an indication that might be where it's heading. There's another character who has century powers who... I don't know if she has cerebral palsy or exactly what's going yep. on there, but CP. Yep. Yeah. Um, CP, that's something yeah. she's dealing with. That's interesting. And I want to see more exploration of that. So we'll see how this series unfolds. Blood, blood commandment. Number three from image comics by Seisman Kondransky. This is a vampire tale about a vampire dude. Who's just trying to protect his son. Meanwhile, a Dracula type type character just won't let him do it. Just won't let him mm. live alone. Um, this is bloody and gross and intense. What do you guys think about this issue? Simon Kudransky is like he did uh, something epic as well, a book we talked about a lot. Uh, very big into like the real like slow boil emotional situations, and that's what we get here. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I really love the kind of. Uh, uh, art style that we got here it's just really creepy as shit you got a lot of like all black but then using just the color red in panels which was super powerful and creative. I like blood yep yeah thanks i, I think people could have put that together but all right, that's inside it. this stuff inside your body oh right right yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's almost like the juice or optimus prime gas most oh my of my God. blood is outside of my body at this point is that a problem it is. You should let's address somebody. it off. off try Mike, to collect Alex. it, Alex. Alex we're doing sorry. a podcast. It's important we stay on topic. So, so let's just save that. So for sorry. Later. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that blood commandment, Justin. Wow. <laughs> hey, great use of the title there. Uh, anyways, uh, I, I just thought there was a weird moment where in the issue somebody witnesses a vampire, and as I can only describe as like. Super Mario jumping across the trees where I'm just like, what vampire power is that? Why isn't that vampire flying or turned into a bat and flying? Because this maybe they got a power jumping star. vampire jumping from tree to tree was just such a weird 
Like, I understand they wanted, like, somebody to witness and see a vampire, but there was other ways to do that. Anyways, it pulled me out of the story a little bit. Uh, but other than that, it was super gross. Subgenre number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kent, art by Wilfredo Torres. This is following a noir-style detective in a sci-fi-style situation who has realized he is a character in a story and there is a bunch of IP stuff going on. I absolutely love this issue. This is uh, Wilfredo Torres drawing the story, but we have a bunch of backgrounds, clearly from Matt Kent, that are laying in other aspects of the story. This is Matt Kent dealing with the idea of IP, dealing with the idea of creative properties. It's great stuff. Really great. Uh, anything Mackin does has so many layers to it, and we get that a lot in the front page throughout the issue and in the back back matter a little bit as well. Love the mind management connections here and just the uh, the commentary in general. feel like we're taking aim at DC Comics perhaps here, mm-hmm. given the initials, and uh, just a really taking the story about story into a, a different era uh, area that we've uh, a place we haven't really seen before. And that's some often trod territory. Yeah. I feel like this is a tripped out good time here. Uh, guy jumping between realities, amazing use of the art uh, showing off the different worlds in such a cool, creative way. It's super impressive. Yeah. I mean, to the point you were making Justin, when he called out mind management in here very casually, I was like, is this a secret mind management sequel book? Which is very exciting. But it it sort of is. It is, yeah. right? Which is great. I love I love what Matt Kent is doing. He, nobody is doing it like him in terms of creativity, of structure, of comics. It's great stuff. Wolverine, number 41 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy and Victor Laval, art by Jeffrey Shaw and Corey Smith. This is a kickoff of Sabretooth War, I believe a 10-issue arc. It is. Going to run through Two a month. Two a month. And one issue is going to focus on Wolverine. The next issue is going to focus on Sabretooth. This issue is giving us both of them as a setup as Sabretooth, now out of the pit on Krakoa, Finally gets to th- do the thing he always does, which is royally fuck up Wolverine's birthday yep. in the worst way possible. Uh, they're promising this is the most violent Wolverine story ever. And if this issue is any indication, they are off to a solid start there. Pete, as our Wolverine fan, what did you think about this one? Well, uh, first off, you know, they were acting like this was a new idea. I feel like they, you know, Wolverine's birthday and Sabretooth attacking them is an adorable thing that they do for each other. So they never are out of each other's lives. You know, just once a year, they schedule a time to be together. We should do that. Which is just, yeah, we should. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Every year on your birthday, from now on, Justin and I are going to dismember one of your family members. And, and another person. And another person. And I'd love to see you try. Out a fun message for you. Yeah, I'd love to see you try and see what happens. Would you, you know love I mean? that? Well, I would, because then it would give me a, a, a reason to murder you. You know what I mean? Uh, Alex, uh, we're one leg short. We have to kill a third person. <laughs> to the exclamation uh, point. Yeah, I just think this is a bold statement, you know, that this is going to be the gruesomest Wolverine. I mean, I've read 
so many Wolverine stories, and there's a lot of them where he's standing on a pile of dead bodies of people he's murdered. So I don't know how you're going to do bloodier and you know more intense than that, but sure, sign me up. Let's see what happens. But this kind of starts out in a normal situation where it's uh, Wolverine's birthday again, and old Sabies is there to say that I love you. So. I don't know, uh, you know, what's different yet, but uh, I'm excited by what's being set up. I feel like one of the big reveals of this issue is that the uh, leash is off the X-Men universe and you could kill basically anyone because we're headed so quickly to the reboot because we get Quentin Quire getting straight up murdered in this issue. We get Oh, yeah, uh, that was gruesome, man. Uh, yeah, we get uh, Wolverine's son, formerly known as Dokken, killed in this issue, famous for killing the Punisher before he was reanimated yeah, at Frankencastle, R.I.P. Nobody asked. Nobody I just, that's an important part of the backstory. It's not. No, now known as Fang. Uh, but uh, this is like, like if you like any of Percy's Wolverine run, just keep reading because it feels like it's the same flave we're getting. Bloodrick, number two from Image Comics by Andrew Cranky. This is about a big barbarian who's yeah, just very cranky. hungry and really wants some food. There's a lot of snow around, so there's not a lot of food. Zelvin, you know what? When you're hungry and you know wandering around the earth, it's it's hard to find food. Okay, you're acting like he's walking past the Starbucks and being oh, like, "No." Let me be clear. I love this book. The art is great. It feels in line with the Steve Scroce to me a little bit. Mm. The Scroce? The simplicity of it, where it's like Conan, but what if we boiled it down to the essentials? Didn't worry about all the plot stuff. Great. It feels like Conan meets Usagi Ojimbo or something like that, where it's just like very simple storytelling. And yeah, it's fun. He's a hungry dude, and he's bad at managing his time. Uh, first off, there's layers to Yosagi Ojimbo, so I don't appreciate. Yeah, there's you the there's simple. the samurai layer and the bunny layer. Oh man, that's <laughs> right? still two. It's still that's more than you said. It's still okay. more than what you were insinuating. Um, but yeah, Bloodwork is great. Uh, love all the story, the action, the bear just kind of leaving him was kind of hilarious. I I enjoyed that where he's just yelling and all in his feelings. The bear's just like whatever, dude. I ain't got time for you. Um, I great. Uh, yeah, I love all the kind of just uh, madness that is this comic, and it uh, represents it well and is very artistic in a cool way. Masterpiece number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Alex Believe. We are following mm-hmm. a teen, former, not former, a daughter of former thieves who may or may mm-hmm. not be dead. She has been recruited by a billionaire who wants her to go on a heist. We find out more about the heist. We find out more about her crew and her parents in this issue. Um, love the first issue of this. I think the second issue settles into the very typical Brian Michael Bendis rhythms of yeah. let's get the crew together and it's a bunch of people talking in a room and chatting around each other. But at the same time, I think there's an energy here that really made me enjoy this quite a bit. It feels it feels like vintage Bendis. It feels fun. Yeah. Alex believes art is great. I had a good time. Me too. It's like Ocean's Eleven adjacent in a good way. If Bendis wrote Ocean's Eleven, and that's that's oh, a fun okay. premise. That's, that's okay. I, I was a little you lost me a little bit there. All right, yeah, I think this is great stuff. I think that the um, uh, 
Art pulls you in very nicely. I liked also the page breakdown that we got in this was awesome, where you got their name and then kind of mm-hmm. like their job title, of like, oh, they're the muscle yeah. or they're the That's brains. Great. That was really cool. Um, uh, honestly, more comics should have org charts. I, I think that would just yeah. be good. Definitely. Text pages and org charts. You guys having fun? Yes. Oh, okay, Still. Good. Thank great. you for asking. Yeah, great, good. It's great <laughs> Let's to talk about uh, Daredevil Gang War number two. From Marvel, written by Erica Schultz, art by Sergio DeVia. Daredevil is actually Elektra, who is on the move throughout this gang war event trying to take down various gangs. Here she is running afoul of a new mystery villain. Who is it? We don't know. She's working. They almost take their mask off. Almost! You can't see my face. Yeah. Is Uh, it a face we're going to recognize through comic book art? Probably not, but we'll see what happens. Well, we might definitely though. indicated it was Wolverine adjacent. Multiple mm-hmm. times the line was like, "You have Wolverine's claws." So yeah, yeah, it could be X twenty three. We don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm having a great time with Gang War. Hate the title, but still a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's great to see She Devil kicking some butt, uh, protecting Hell's Kitchen. Uh, I'm having a great time with this event. Yes, uh, this, I think he he means a daredevil as a yes, yeah. No, no, no. It took me a second to realize he was talking about Electra. Yeah, uh, she refers to herself as she devil in this comic. Okay. Is is uh is the new figure going to be maybe not X twenty three, but um, the other one from the, the uh, Badger? Was that her name? Oh, the honey younger Badger? one. Yeah, yeah, honey. yeah. Could be Honey Badger. Yeah. Interesting. See what happens. Fish Flies, number four from Image Comics by Jeff Lemire. This is about a girl with a snot running out of her nose and a big old bug and the love they find in the uh, Canadian backwoods. Uh, no, it's not weird like that. It's not that kind of love. It's a friendship, asshole. Friendship. Don't make it seem love. creepy. Absolutely. Uh, this feels like the spiritual successor to Sweet Tooth more than anything else Jeff Lemire has done, and uh, I like that. Yeah, it's great. It's this kind of amazing relationship that is creepy and weird. Uh, but the way that, uh, you know, I don't want to say Snack Girl because that's the name of another comic, but the no, the main character who has snot issues or a leaky nose um, <laughs> is it's great. I love this yeah, relationship. It's like a snotty girl and some sort of bug that's ambushing her. But I, again, I don't want to say specifically what the name yeah, is. Yeah, you don't want to say because it's yeah. not really, that's a completely different character. That we totally. Are, yeah, exactly. Uh, but this uh, story continues to be heart-wrenching in all the right ways and also kind of creepy as it's uh, uh, playing with this uh, giant bug of a man. Giant Bug of a Man. Also, Jill and the Killers, number one. This is out January 31st from Oni Don't Press, written by Olivia Quarto, uh, Quartero, excuse me, Briggs. Art by Roberto Ingranada. Just a note, Olivia is going to be on our live show twice a month, so we'll be talking about their book. This is a, I thought, very fun riff on the Obsession with True Crime podcast as a bunch of teens in a high school decide to do a mystery box about a true crime and find out they get a little bit more than they bargained for. Mm. 
This is a great YA kickoff, I would say. What did you guys think about this book? Uh, Same. I like the sort of twists and turns and the way we really get to sort of ride with the main character and her point of view and why she does certain things. Yeah, this is uh, creepy but great. Um, uh, Like the kind of whodunit thing that they're trying to figure out. But uh, this is just a really great idea and well executed. I love the writing and the art on this. Yeah, this is the sort of thing, and I know we're jumping around and not mentioning any spoilers here, but this feels fondly reminiscent of a Cecil Castellucci book where it's mm, there's this very Cecil. offhand quality to everything that happens where it's like, oh, something terrible happened. Well, anyway, moving on. Let's move on to our YA high school drama stuff. Um, very fun. I had a good time with this book. Spider-Gwen Smash, number two from Marvel, written by Melissa Flores, art by Eden Balam. Spider-Gwen is on tour with Dazzler and Lila Cheney and a bunch of other characters trying to help her against a stalker who is, uh, per the title, as you might have figured out from the last issue, some sort of Hulk. Something is going on there. What would you guys think about the second issue here? I love the Spider-Gwen universe or dimension, I should say, uh, or part of the multiverse, maybe. Uh, Whatever it is, it's um, the way they twist the characters is really fun and uh, there's a certain tone to all the Spider-Gwen books that are the Earth-65 that is very like, yeah, that's just what's happening. It's much more casual tone than the high drama of the 616 universe, and I appreciate that. It's always nice to revisit it. Yeah, I think that this is just, you know, Spider-Gwen and Dazzler teaming up for fun here. Uh, you know, the art has a real cool kind of... Y- unique look to it. I don't want to say it's cartoonish, but it's got kind of like this anime kind of feel to it, which I think uh, opens it up to uh, a different kind of possibility of what we're used to for these characters in a nice creative way. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you're like, oh, man, Dazzler and Spider-Gwen, sign me up. This is a book for you. Deep Cuts, number four, from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, art by Ramon Perez. This is a anthology that is focusing on different jazz stories throughout the ages. Justin, you seem to be a big fan of this issue, so take it away. I love this book. This book just is, it's really well written. It's really, really well drawn. Ramon Perez is an artist I've loved for, for many, many years, and these stories, it's just so different. Like it's outside of the world of so many different uh, comic book areas to cover. And I love the historical character uh, exploration here. It's just really great stuff. Shouts to Kyle Higgins for this feels like a passion project that uh, is really great. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And uh, I just think this is such a beautiful, powerful book. Uh, the kind of old feel that they convey of New York City back in the day. It's really impressive the way he can kind of like pull you into the story in such a great way and uh, honors these amazing uh, jazz musicians. Uh, Yeah, this is a really impressive uh, book. And thank you, Kyle. I love this book. I thought the art was absolutely gorgeous. The story in this issue didn't quite work for me. I Mm. had a hard time following the narrative, which maybe is I'm not a jazz guy. So maybe they structured it 
like multiple yes. players coming in doing a solo etc as they're going through the story of this jazz ensemble and what happened to them over the years um but the previous three issues have been very clear and very straightforward in terms of what they're doing this one was a little more obsequious there so it was harder to follow hold on to but still well worth picking up this series Captain Marvel number four from Marvel, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Jan Basildua. Captain Marvel has been tied to a young thief who has powers, and they are trying to break into a vault in the negative zone. I love this issue. This was so good. The series gets better every single issue. The idea of having a heist involving the Nega bands. So Captain Marvel and this new character keep having to switch places throughout the heist. I thought it was so smartly done and so, so well good. done. What a great issue. It's using some of the pieces of the Marvel's movie in such a smart way in the regular comics universe. And I agree. It's like really smartly written, really fun. Love the character switching really into this new character of the thief. Yuna, uh, Yuna I think her name is. Yeah, I agree with what you guys are saying. Uh, also, just the the fun kind of Marvel oh shit moment where they're like reaching for this jewel and then Black Cat just shows up out of nowhere and is like, yoik! Great panel. Great panel. Such Love a great it. panel. I was just like, oh, of course! Like, yes! This is just such a... Uh, yeah, and the Black Cat, uh, Blastar kind of combination that we get in this issue was so great. This is such a creative, fantastic comic that is not only amazingly yeah. written, but absolutely beautifully drawn. It's such a great comic. The Sacrificers, number six from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Max Fumara. We are following a bunch of characters here who finally start to intersect. Specifically, there's a pigeon boy who has been taken as a sacrifice for the gods. We found out that his brain juice gets drunk by the gods so that they can stay young. Meanwhile, the daughter of the sun and the moon has tried to escape and save everybody. She runs into, I don't know, let's say a couple of hiccups here in this issue. <laughs> um, man, I am so excited to see where Rick Bender is going to take yeah. this next. What a turnabout that happens in this issue where it's like, <laughs> oh, shit is turning up. Great. Yeah, and Justin, you love drinking brain juice, right? Exactly. Oh, yes, exactly. That's yeah. what, when I get the venom suit on, I want that tongue on the brain juice so I can taste the shit out of that shit. Mm -hmm. If there's one theme to this episode of The Stack, it's juice is juice, yum, yum, yum. Um, yeah, I just can't say enough about this art. It's just so badass. The pigeon boy that Zalbatron mentioned really kind of comes into his own in this issue, which was so great to finally see. Uh, I love how it ends, but I also can't wait for more. Just really powerful images and stuff like that. When the moon girl looks up and sees that her mom is no longer there, uh, just, oh, just such powerful, great stuff. I'm very curious to see what this series ends on which is probably years uh, away at this point but whatever the thesis statement that ha Rick Remender has is it eat the rich is it something else we could never eat the rich I don't know but I'm very curious to so you're about. excited to see Wahhabians is what you're saying uh, yes exactly okay. and it has took, to, took the almost took the almost words right out of his mouth <laughs> 
Last but not least, the sensational She-Hulk number four it. from Marvel, written by Rainbow Wow, Rainbow Rowell, excuse me, art by Ig Guara. She-Hulk is try, still trying to have it all. She's trying to date Jack of Hearts. She's yeah. trying to have the law profession. She's trying to be a normal person, and she's trying to hang out with her friends, Captain Marvel and Hellcat, and of course, things go wrong on every front. Again, this book is consistent every single month. Every time, it's so great. As the best romance book on the stands, just very fun, very funny. Rainbow Rowell just announced she's doing a new adult novel that's coming out this year. Can't wait. Uh, Great romance, great friendships. This book is just great at character study across the board. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep coming up with amazing things to say about it, but man, Sen- just it's a, sensational. Is what it, it is. It really is sensational. Uh, just another banger of an ish. Uh, her and Jack are just oh, oh man, the little moments that they have to keep us kind of coming back for more and fun, hanging out with Hellcat and Captain Marvel. It's just. Uh, it's really hilarious in all the right ways and uh, also kind of adorbs. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. Adorbs, nanners. And that is it for the stack for Woo-hoo, true fans. See if you can figure out the point when we realized this show was getting long and we started to speed up through our reviews. For everybody else, if you want to support us at patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every <laughs> Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books in a compressed time frame. Apple, Spotify, <laughs> Android, or the spot, uh, spot or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash Facebooks, Comic Book Live dot Comic Book Club Live at TikTok and Instagram. It's been a long show. Uh, comic Book Club. Juice. Live.com for this podcast. Many more until next time. We'll see you at the comic book club if we're alive. I think the goblin serum is sex for Alex and he's tired. Wow. That's what I crave. They sit on crappy couches and they let the secrets leak. And occasionally they